32 counties. 32 questions. My name is Una. I'm Andrea. And this is United, United Ireland. Ireland. Every week we take a county or an issue and give it a global context. Is that what we do? We dive into an issue <laughs> and bring it to a local county. Okay. This week's county, what is it, Una? Well, it's kind of an ethereal county, but something that is overarching and... Love our little tenuous county links. Whether we know it or not dictates a lot of um, stuff around, <laughs> around how people live in this country. So this week's county is actually REITs. What's a REIT? Um, we'll it is that later. A real estate investment trust. And this week's question is basically everything you always wanted to know about REITs, but were too afraid to ask. Or didn't actually know to ask. Stay with us for some (laughs) insightful conversation about the global investment of property in Ireland. Formation is ongoing. So, in the ongoing general election 2020 aftermath, uh, this week there has been lots Getting more... spicy, isn't it? Lots more chatter. Sinn Féin um, ha- are holding some public meetings. They had one on Monday night in Cork. Around a thousand people were there. Um, there was n- nothing kicked off. There was no... <laughs> Um, revolution contained in a room uh, I think no they were bullying. Ba- they were basically just kind of talking about Sinn Féin's policies <laughs> um, so no need to get excited I have been thinking have you Lisa Hand wrote a gorgeous piece about the meeting in the journal oh I must read that yeah but I love she had this amazing way of saying uh Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael were going around like headless chickens spreading off but it was more like a decapitated f- f- animal fell running around. Oh, <laughs> it was beautiful rhetoric if you ask me. Um, it's interesting that the... So I've been doing a lot of thinking about what's behind um, Leo Varadkar's comments in particular about intimidation and bullying that this was kind of a new phase of Sinn Féin's quote unquote intimidation and bullying and that it's been happening online and that they're like going to bring it to the streets and all this kind of stuff and you know Pierce Doherty and Mary Lou McDonald described the reaction to of, of Fine Gael to Sinn Féin holding these public meetings which were characterised as rallies um, uh, as hysterics and it is really interesting to just kind of see w- where Fine Gael are coming from. I wrote a piece in the Times on Monday about um, Fine Fáil and Fine Gael's joint existential crisis that is kind of ongoing because having spent an entire campaign attacking Sinn Féin, they're now, which backfired obviously, they're now... Um, Doubling down. Fine Gael in particular is continuing that and you wouldn't have to wonder like even on a cynical level there's clearly not votes in it um, and oftentimes when people are very busy talking about other people they're not reflecting on themselves Are they reinforcing their base though? I don't know I think what is interesting to examine is if we look at how polarisation emerges in other jurisdictions and we often see it as you know a fringe group to the far left or to the far right will um, flood or normalize, or normalise like controversial um, or offensive ideas and rhetoric and that will become normalised or reacted to in the media and then basically these kind of movements start to grow and you get very you know the left and right fragments and you get this you know move shift towards more extreme points of view or whatever and like that happens all over the place 
But I think it's like, what does polarisation look like in an Irish context? And what it seems to be, what seems to be emerging is that the polarisation is kind of being driven by the so-called centre. So you have Fine Gael, Leo Varadkar in particular, um, talking out against Sinn Féin while refusing to acknowledge um, what Fine Gael are about. So this is when you get like people kind of blur uh, the lines about what about your stuff, but it's actually about reflecting on your own point of view. With regards to like talking about Sinn Féin's intimidation, quote what he what he characterizes as intimidation bullying online well actually you know the main driver of really lowering the rhetoric online throughout the campaign was Fine Gael's official party campaign you know they were running attack ads they're um, really campaigning very negatively making these parody videos photoshopping rival candidates you know that is the type of really bad polarizing negative um maybe even Point bu- scoring. bullying type campaigning that really kind of lowered the bar. And then when you look at, you know, the the I think there's like a jealousy aspect of it as well. Like the fact is, if Fine Gael or Fine Fall wanted to have like go to the people and have these public meetings that are partisan and generate all this discourse in room, like they wouldn't be able to do it. Like they these parties cannot get a crowd at this point that is not actually a crowd in opposition to them. Um, so I think that they're kind of com- they're compounding that disconnect um, with the electorate I mean Mary Lee MacDonald said something interesting now it's obviously a bit like self-congratulatory about you know when an election is over Sinn Féin don't just close the doors of government buildings like we go back to the people but there's something in that um, you know there's nothing anti-democratic about having partisan political meetings these things happen every week like you know in Wynn's Hotel with socialists talking about the end of capitalism or something you know these things happen all the time and with regards to Leo Varadkar insinuating that people protesting or going onto the streets or whatever is somehow, um, you know, an anti-democratic or an intimidating uh, vista. Well, actually, protest in an open and free society is one of the most profound articulations of freedom and democracy. You know, it's protest that got Leo Varadkar the right to marry, for example. You know, it's protest that has driven a lot of progress in this country. So I think... Um, that it's very alienating, actually, to um, characterise what's happening. And but it at just this goes point. back. But it also I means feel. you don't have to. He doesn't have to look at the reasons. Finnegal won't look at the reasons. They won't engage with the issues that people care about. So instead, they'll attack a party that people are gravitating towards. It doesn't work. It's not going to work. And repeating failed tactics is stupid, first of all. But I think it also gives us an insight into what Leo Varadkar's Finnegal is going to look like in opposition, and it's quite nasty. Um, and I think that if Fine Gael characterise themselves as the adults in the room and we are a normal party, unlike these, you know, I don't know, the not a normal party um, that Fine Gael, some people in Fine Gael think Sinn Féin is, it's like, well, if you are the adults in the room, then act like them. You know, stop inflaming rhetoric. But it, it feels like it's quite a snobby take on politics. It's like, this is not how you do politics. We go and we, the adults, decide how the government should be shaped and what's going to happen going forward. Whereas... You can call it my un- most hated word, populist or popular or reflecting what the consensus of people is and what they want by talking to the people. So it's, yes, you've been elected, but who has the power to decide what the people want? And it goes back to my everlasting question of is a job of a politician to lead the people with your beliefs or to reflect the beliefs of the consensus to bring it forward? It's both. 
But I think that, you know, what we're seeing again is how rooted Fine Gael's perspective is in their own privilege in society, that they seem to view their way of doing things as the fundamental, as the baseline. Because it's always been done like that. Yeah, and also because there's very little self-reflection going on in Fine Gael right now. You know, they emerge from a a campaign. Well, I feel like... They are reflecting, but coming out on the attack. How could you not be reflecting? I don't don't think it's a like it's a mixture of attacking and also defensiveness. I don't think they are reflecting. And I think when you it is when you have an awful lot of privilege and when you see your point of view as the default, it's very difficult to reflect on that. Um, There is something of a Finnegale frailty or Finnegaze like what is the Finnegal gaze on society like they seem to be saying that anything in opposition to how they were doing things is dangerous is bullying is all these different kind of things when there's no examination of how a lot of their policies particularly around housing around around direct provision which is a continuation of a Finnfall policy and so on is dangerous to people is threatening is intimidating is bullying you know the, the, it's it's their policies that, that lay the bedrock for the rental crisis that we're in. And we're going to be discussing some of those, in particular, the um, Finance Act of 2013, which gave rise to this kind of global investment stuff around REITs. Like, that is the threat. It's kind of like somebody going into a community as a gentrifier and then the people who were there before them viewing them as threatening when it's like you're not acknowledging that your gentrification is a threat to the people who were there. So I think that there's a lot of Fine Gael stuff is tied up in privilege and I think that it's kind of ridiculous to say that um, you can only play by these rules that uh, that the, the work you're only a normal party if you look a certain way if you're wearing a certain kind of suit if you talk with a certain kind of spin if you assume do politics the political way yeah so I think that we know that how politics has actually been formed over the last decade has been very atypical it's been grassroots DIY activism um, predominantly driven by young women in you know um, in many cases and is that wrong is that threatening is that intimidating you know the rhetoric that we're hearing from Fine Gael at the moment it weirdly makes me feel like how a lot of very vocal um, anti-choice campaigners responded after repeal went through that you know the idea of celebrating in Dublin Castle was like you know really distasteful and intimidating and it's no cause for celebration for example it's this kind like who decides what is acceptable and who decides what is the right way and if you are so embedded in your own perception of how things should be done I understand that anything that does not adhere to those strict rules that you have defined by your own positioning in society is somehow atypical or not normal and I think that that is kind of very narrow-minded. Have Those are been, my thoughts. Have you been thinking about this much, Una? <laughs> just a little thought on it, is it? <laughs> just, a, just a little thought. Let's, let's move on. Um, in other news, what is other news, Andrea? Um, there's something here about high-end apartments, which is going to chime with our subject today. Yeah, there's a lot of... Uh, property news here. Uh, Killian Woods in the Sunday Business Post wrote a feature on exposing the hundreds of high-end apartments lying empty across Dublin Um, and as has been said before obviously the main well not not the main but there is an issue with the problem of building the wrong thing at the wrong time and at the moment 
do we need loads of luxury apartments? And the fact that they're staying empty is because the owners are keeping the rents at a very high level to keep the market and value within them. So homelessness is coming at the price of keeping value within apartments that are being rented out. Um, I'm looking here at the piece in this like uh, in six Hanover Key in Grand Canal Dock 81 apartments have no tenancy out of 120 and then there's another one in, in the Capital Dock 100 of the 190 apartments. This is something that we've seen in other like much more major global capitals mm-hmm. like in London this this idea of you know the kind of um, safety deposit box type luxury accommodation where you know very wealthy people or investment funds will buy all these luxury apartments and then just leave them empty the same thing is happening in New York which is kind of physically changing the landscape of the city where you have these really thin tall skyscrapers being built of like turbo expensive luxury apartments a lot of which are vacant as well so we're going to be talking about this later in terms of the um, setting the market yeah and and what that market looks like and who is it serving uh, another piece of Depresso Martini news about property is in UL. Uh, rooms that have been single in the past have been decked out for twin rooms so that they're tiny little box rooms and people are being just squished in. And the students have come out against it and said, can you just stop taking and expanding the student base because until you have the facilities and the infrastructure to manage it rather than stuffing people into single rooms as twins. And a lot of the time that's a stranger. So you're literally sleeping in a bed across from a stranger. Happened to us all, I suppose. Joking. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so it's just greed again, taking over of getting more students into single rooms. Um, Paul O'Donoghue in the... Um, the Times Ireland the whatever I, I never actually know how to say that newspaper's name which the is really Regal bad. Times I call it the, Lon- the London Irish the London Times, Irish Times. Um, the Times Ireland he, he wrote a piece a while ago actually about um, how, you know the way they banned bed sits and, but actually there's um, property companies now kind of renovating these bed sits and calling them studio apartments and some of them are about the same size as a disabled car parking space and renting for over 1200 euros a month and um, you know, and, and being called like compact studios and stuff like that. So there is loads of like ropey stuff going on, as we know, and we're going to get into that more. Another ropey thing that happened is that uh, fire safety in apartments is being reduced so that usually there has to be a window to get out of in a fire. There has to be a route to exit. There has to be um, more than one door per floor. And in a lot of the co-living spaces, the fire safety has been brought down to practically zero. And the question that that is raising, I suppose, is how can we justify reducing fire safety in these uh, d- dense living conditions after what happened in Grafnell? Um Yeah. So this, um, there was a letter in the Irish Times about um, on at the weekend about the, these revised building regulations. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's always worth looking at this kind of stuff in terms of how the building regulations were were changed a lot in during the crash, which is probably quite easy to do because people weren't buildings weren't building. Um, and to you know make bigger rooms, windows on both sides, all that kind of stuff, and then they kind of gradually came to be kind of shaved away at because they're seen as like this is impractical and nobody will be able to build anything. Um, 
but people seem to have been able to build stuff in the past. And people who are able to build stuff now. Uh, after being refused permission to build by Dublin City Council, Bartra have been given the green light by Onboard Panala to build an RD road in Ratmines in uh, the form of those gorgeous co-living structures. So again, high density uh, people sharing facilities on one floor in small rooms. Well, there you go. <laughs> we just don't have any more rants left in me about that, I'm afraid. You probably get really great knockoff Eames chairs, though, around communal tables <laughs> and some nice foosball, faux, faux Lisbon inspired tiling on the splashback behind your sink. And at the end of the day, isn't that just what transient tech workers want? OK, moving on. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to pause here for some light (laughs) moments. Before we uh, started recording today, um, Andrew Uh, shared some stunning information about his voiceover work. Andrew, can you please tell us? uh, Yeah, my my one IMDB entry is uh, additional voices on an Icelandic animated version of Thor, which is called Thor the Magical Hammer. (laughs) <laughs> Did you and have to speak in Icelandic? No, it was in English, but it was made by an uh, Icelandic company. And oh. I recorded voiceovers down by um, down by the old windmill lane. Oh, I was a, I was a, a monster, an ogre, who went, look at him. And also a French <laughs> chef. Do, do your French accent. I cannot do it for you here. <laughs> it's so terrible. Thank you, Andrew. For You're that. welcome. For and that. one last bit of news that I think is absolutely bananas. Go on. Look. Uh, a law firm in Dublin has banned people who are working from home from working in the same room as an Alexa or any of those smart Google hey Google things because all the uh, conversations are recorded yeah I mean this <laughs> like, is I can't believe that so many people have them I know it's crazy and people are just inviting you know spying machines into their home I have a rule now in my house that if people want to come and hang out or if I'm having a party or whatever they have to turn off any digital assistant on their phone. I'm sorry, I do not consent. <laughs> and, um, you know, they're so easy to activate. If you're also, if you're like in foreign affairs and stuff like that, mm. you're in the British Home Office, I don't think you can have any of them. But if you do have one right now, Alexa, <laughs> play formation. Now we've just activated in your kitchen. You're welcome. Hey, Google. So, wreaths. You've probably heard a lot about them, glazed over them in the business pages. Is that wreaths of Nassau Street where I get my printing done? No, Andrea. (laughs) It's a real estate investment trust. Um, Okay, so here's a little brief history of wreaths. The whole kind of structure of a REIT was invented basically in uh, the US where all good capitalist (laughs) ideas come from in 1960. And they were basically a way to get like regular old folk to be able to invest in property without becoming, you know, standalone property developers themselves. Um, They've only been allowed to operate in Ireland uh, since the 2013 Finance Act. They were included in Fine Gael's 2011 manifesto. Thanks, Fine Gael. They are a type of company structure that allows for the purchase of like income producing or money making property and investment and that so that that property becomes commodified like any other investment. So they can be public companies on the stock market or private companies. Um, since the US kind of invented them in, in uh, 1960, uh, they've gone on to exist in around 30 countries. Um, 
And so it allows for like the purchase investment, financial control of properties to become kind of a part of global investment. Uh, property in a country purchased by a REIT can become part of a global investment portfolio, let's say. And that kind of changes the nature of what we previously knew in the olden days, 10 years ago, uh, as property ownership. The modern REITs kind of took off in the 90s, but it wasn't really until the aftermath of financial crash. They were seen as a way um, to potentially restabilize the property market, you know, to intervene and kind of getting it back on its feet and also open property markets up to global investment vehicles because obviously people in very distressed markets um, like Ireland didn't have the capacity to basically just like start buying property again. And it goes without saying that at that time, uh, property hit the floor as well. So there was money to be made. Example of Irish REITs include Hibernia REIT, Green REIT, which was recently sold, U Grove REIT and IRES REIT. Uh, that's a residential one. Um, there have been issues with REITs with regards to tax, um, which we'll get into later. Um, IRES REIT is Ireland's apparently uh, biggest private landlords. Uh, they made about 120 million profit in 2018, and they own um, close to 3,000 residential properties. Um, they also increased their rent on properties on average uh, 18% in the first half of 2019. Um, and following the the recent election results, uh, among real estate kind of stock or whatever. Um, that started kind of going down. I think people were kind of freaked out by the prospect of, of Sinn Féin um, being in power. Uh, and also bigger kind of property companies like Glenvate and Carn, they also dropped as well. So um, to discuss more of this, uh, to, for somebody who actually knows what they're talking about, Sean Keyes from The Currency is up next for everything you wanted to know about REITs but were too afraid to ask. Sean Keyes is the finance correspondent at the excellent The Currency website, which you should subscribe to because it's very, very good. And considering that most of myself and Andrea's uh, knowledge on this subject is gleaned from... Google uh, searches. Well, How do you pronounce REIT? (laughs) (laughs) And those kind of things. Um, And watching the big short on repeat, um, we thankfully have somebody who knows a little bit more, but... um, not too much to intimidate us into asking very simple questions about this to uh, get to inform you guys. So, Sean, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Now, we've given our own very garbled explanation <laughs> on REITs. What is a REIT? A REIT is it's uh, a type of company which is, is used to invest in buildings and property. And the, the, the purpose of it is, uh, it's so that ordinary, it's the, the company is floated on the stock market and it's a way of funneling money from stock market investors into property. You were about to say a way for normal people to invest, were you? Uh, absolutely not. No, I was <laughs> going to say, it's all healthy capitalist good stuff. And it's about, yeah, it's about, it's about tapping into different sources of finance because Ordinarily, uh, if you're investing, in, if you're building properties, investing in properties, you're like a pro property developer. You know, you're like going to the bank, you're borrowing those money, you're taking those risks. You're a total expert. Um, you're maybe a rich like retiree who's going to buy a second house somewhere, and you're like serious about your property. What REITs do is they let someone just go with like fifty euro, go to the stock market, buy a share in a REIT, and they're 
they have just in a small way invested in the stock in the, in the property market. Right. So, um, so the difference between REITs and then let's say a regular property company or a developer is that there's basically more people involved. Like there's shareholders, there's people who own stock in these companies. So, you know, I could go and invest in it and then I could say I'm investing in property, even though I'm just like a little unit of a much bigger thing. And then presumably you're depending on the quote unquote experts at the top of this company to make good investment for you so that you can get return on your stock. Is that correct? Yeah, that's it. That's, ex- that's exactly it. Uh, so it's the, the the experts, the gang who run it, they'll take their fees for running it. Um, and then what's another slight difference about them from other types of companies is that they're required by law to give everything they make or almost everything they make in terms of from flipping buildings or from income, from rent or whatever. They have to give that all back to the shareholders. So then how do how do they, they make money, the people at the top? Their fees. fees. Right. Fees. So the fees. I'd say they're hefty. Uh, yeah, they're, well, they're, they're hefty enough. Yeah, it, it 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 depends. It varies from reach to reach, and there's no like, like honestly, they go from like three percent, like this is worldwide now. They go from like three percent to like twenty something percent, but a kind of a median normal number would be around five to ten percent. So, could you say that if you were to invest as a normal person in the stock exchange in a reach, that you are actually helping? to solve the homeless crisis. <laughs> Is that a reach? <laughs> it, yeah, I, I, it, I think um, I've, I've heard that argument made and I find it convincing, but it's there's a few steps to it and I need to, I haven't like really, really examined the data, but I'll give you the argument as it was made to me, okay? Yeah. So here's how, here's, here's how it goes. So if you I buy- I bet you the argument was made by someone who was very rich and invested in this. <laughs> um, no, it, well, not, that's, that's not true. It was, inve- <laughs> it was made by, uh, you know, an economist type who's like the foot soldier of maybe the rich guy, you could argue, but no, but he, he's, he's completely sincere. So he, the, 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 if, the, if the diagnosis for the affordability crisis and for the homelessness crisis is we don't have enough supply, that's the first step, if you agree with that. And then in Ireland and in Dublin, like they say, okay, why don't we have enough supply? Um, often it's it's argued that the reason we don't have supply is that um, construction costs are very very high. So even though like this, we're crying out for houses, it's still like there isn't as much being built as is required. And a lot of the reason for that is that it's very expensive to build. So if you wanted to build a whatever an apartment block, you end up building something really expensive, and you build something like which is quite a high end place. And so that's a problem because it means we're not getting enough new supply. So the argument for REITs is, and the way they help is that inst- they're really big by their nature. REITs are like these huge funds. They're, as I was saying, they're attracting in money from all over, you know, tons of small investors, stock market, all that stuff. So they're really big. They've got long time horizons. So they're like like a pension fund that's investing its pension money for 25 years. So those got so people, an investor of that nature is willing to. To finance a property, to finance much more expensive properties, let's say much more um, costly developments, and so that's that's sort of the, the chain of the argument. If, if uh, we've got homelessness and affordability crisis, need more supply. Supply depends on viability, which is like you know being able to build something profitably, and REITs and other these big institutional funds help by um, by making more developments viable for getting more big things built, and that that goes for REITs and it goes for things like build to rent and these other big kind of institutional funds. Right. If their point is to be a growth orientated real estate investment trust, they are out to make money rather than provide homes. Right, right. Um, but, you know, the, like that's sort of true for, for all the stuff that gets made, really. Everything that gets made is, you know, it's all it's all greed, really. But I guess that they, they would argue that uh, it's 
like you're creating you're you're well you're you're like funneling all that capital and that money into building things that we need in Ireland. Right. And these are all these are all the sort of the this is the case for REITs. Mm. Right? You know, we can talk about the criticisms too, but this is how you'd make the case for REITs. So let's go back then, now that we know what REITs are, I think. Um, <laughs> so Fine Gael in, like, included the introduction of REITs in Ireland in their 2011 manifesto, um, which obviously has to be seen in the context of a virtual stalling of, of construction, particularly residential construction in Ireland and um, the economic crash, etc. And then that culminated in the provision for REITs in the Finance Act of 2013. Um, why did Fine Gael want REITs to be introduced? And who else would have wanted them to be introduced in Ireland? So, yeah, 2011 Ireland, it's a different type of place and we have now different types of problems, I suppose. And I'm, this is, I'm, I'm guessing, at the time, Michael Noonan and Fine Gael would have been worried about things like falling property prices, NAMA, how are we going to you know, turn, turn on this around? Banks not lending, that sort of thing. And REITs were seen as a sort of an off-the-shelf solution to a couple of those problems because REITs are long established. They're, they're, they're in place in states and in, in loads of jurisdictions. And they would... So what were the problems? Um, property prices were falling, banks weren't lending, and NAMA was this like sort of noose around the neck of the state in terms of its, office, and its balance sheet. So... REITs were seen as a way to solve those problems. You get new money, new sources of capital in the country. They'll buy houses, make house prices go up. They'll uh, fund development, which means banks can lend for other stuff which needs to be lended for. And also NAMA, they'll buy NAMA. They'll buy almost all of it. So that's that's where NAMA went, hmm. international investors. This, this isn't all just REITs now. This is, you know, vulture funds and different kind of stripes of international money. But they all came in, bought, bought NAMA assets, and in that sort of narrow, if, if that was indeed their goal, then I suppose REITs, did, REITs and international money did succeed in that. We got NAM off the books, property prices went up and the banks kind of were free to lend in other ways. Do you know what I find interesting is that arguments against um, interventions in the market are often made when it comes to things around like rent freezes or, um, you know, nationalising something or the state building houses not for profit and it's like no we can't intervene we have to let like the market provide solutions yet there seems to be the continuous intervention in the market to create profit and to create capital um, that are quite uh, top down interventions like Mm. you know putting something like this in in legislation um, is a massive intervention why is it that we seem to be happy to make interventions uh, around something like REITs, which now dominate uh, the private um, property landscape in Ireland, yet equally uh, w- when it comes to an intervention like, you know, re-empowering local authorities to build public housing, that's seen as like totally crazy. You can't do that. The market would, you know, have a fit. Is that a technical term? <laughs> yes, <laughs> it is. So having a fit market. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a shit fit. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, you're you're probably right there. I mean, uh, it feels like the um, so okay, okay. Maybe you could say 2011 crisis time. Um, maybe you could give them a pass on really, really trying very hard to do what they had to do to solve those problems. But then there's like a second, separate question of like our current crisis now and have they done anything? I think you could prob- you're probably right in that uh, the really, really um, all guns blazing by hook or by crook kind of approach has only sort of come in 
quite recently and like even from from off from left to right parties are all trying you know they're all willing to try very uh, unusual steps to, to solve the problem but it's been years and so yeah there's that's a big question you know why why didn't the political pressure kind of bubble its way up from the bottom to make the, the people in power felt that they had to go all guns blazing to solve the, the housing crisis until you know what it takes so long and i mean that's that's a big question. You know. <laughs> mm. I'm only a REITs guy, you know. <laughs> uh, you mentioned uh, vulture funds. What's the difference between, like, let's say, REIT, a cuckoo fund or a vulture fund? Like, obviously, that you see all the street art of, like, get the vulture funds out. What's the difference? So, yeah, there are all different, different stripes of, like, int- international money coming into Ireland buying stuff. So, uh, the vulture funds were, like, the original. They're, like, the OGs. They were brought in. So they're specific and they invest in distressed debt. So what that means is um, after the crisis, Irish banks had, all, had like massive, like oh, loads of people owed them money for their mortgages and they weren't paying them back. So back in 2011, I actually was doing a story about this yesterday. 2011, uh, like something like one in eight of Bank of Ireland's loans wasn't performing, was impaired. So that's no good from like, it means the bank is like unstable and like liable to blow up again and it's just bad for everything. So the ECB, which is uh, responsible for looking after it, for for, um, for um, regulating it, said, okay, you got to clean this up. I don't care how you do it. Repossess the homes, whatever, you, or like come to some kind of arrangement, but like you can't be having all these unpermanent loans on your, on your book. So the Irish banks went to vulture funds and they sort of outsourced that problem to their vulture funds is that okay vulture funds were like alright those those 12% loans that aren't performing we'll buy them off you we'll give you I'm not I'm not sure what the exact numbers are I'm just going to pluck one out of the air and say 50 cent on the euro for your, these loans and so that's how they came in they bought all these distressed loans I, th- I suspect there a lot of them were American and in, in America the way that would have worked is you would have just chucked people out of the houses straight away and that's what does happen in America and I I suspect or I wonder if they thought whether that would work here it didn't work here because the Irish courts don't really enforce us in that way. Um, so, although plenty of people had their homes repossessed, and they they have, yeah, there's been like us, of course, like tens of thousands. So I don't want to sound like I'm 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 heartless about it, but as a very very small percentage of what of the like let's say let's say if the vulture funds bought whatever like a hundred thousand mortgages, a very small percentage of those mm. would have been repossessed. It's a function of the way the Irish system works that, that, that it's been less let's say let's say thankfully but less one rare repossession is one person's whole life one person's ho- whole life but let's say okay the, it's, let's just say that fewer people have been thrown out than there would have been in other countries yeah um, anyway so that, that's, that's vulture funds uh, then there so we talk, we're talking about REITs REITs are obviously a separate thing they're about, about basically funneling stock market money into investing in property um, the new one is built rent which is what it sounds like uh, just um, directing capital towards building these like long term rental schemes but it's all different stripes of foreign money coming in to build or build stuff buy stuff here. Mm. Who are the big REIT operators in Ireland and what do they own? There are, well, there were, the biggest one was Green, Green REIT and that was the original and that was sold sort of somewhat scandalously uh, recently because the idea, so sorry, I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute. Green REIT, um, Hibernia REIT is the other big one. Each of those invest mostly in property, mo- or sorry, mostly in, obviously all in property, mostly in commercial property. Uh, mostly in Dublin, or all in Dublin, I'll be more specific. And then there's IRES, which is a residential focus one. So where the other ones are focused on offices, these ones build houses and apartments. And then there's the newest one, smallest one called U Grove, and that's more uh, 
it invests more outside of Dublin and it's commercial stuff. So I guess to, to answer your question, that there's four of them. Three, one of them has just been sold and it's mostly offices with a smattering of apartments and things. So the green one, that's, um, I always call it, try and call it, and almost always say it's Anderson Pack. It's not Anderson Pack, the great um, American musical artist. It's <laughs> Henderson Park. <laughs> uh, who, who bought who bought Green Reach, right? And they tried yes. to get out of their sixty five million euro tax bill um because they were scandalized having spent one point three four billion that they would have to pay tax on it, right? Is that correct? Something like that, yeah. Right. Um and so Ira's Reach is it's often said that it's like the biggest private landlord in Ireland. Apart is, from the state. Ap- apart from the state. Um, but I suppose the state is not a private landlord, is it? I mean, it acts like one. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, but is that true? Is it true that's the biggest landlord in the, in the state? God, I do not know. But I'd say it's sounds bl- bloody likely. I was looking up. I did look up some numbers on IRS before we came in just to see. Just I was curious myself actually to see what they owned. And it's all Dublin. It's like um, a huge chunk of it is in Sandyford. It's mm. like so. There's a bit of city centre. Yeah, biggest side quarter. So it's it's like. Outside the M50, around around the um, Tala and, and Clondalkin and places, they've a good bit. Loads in Sandyford, some in the city. That's the mix. And what do we know about their patterns of investment? Like, are these set up by people who would have been in the property game in Ireland and then they're then sucking in global money? Or are they global companies purchasing in Ireland? Um, I think it's a mixture because, so Green Rate, was, which is the one was the original one that was solo we're talking about, that was set up by a guy called Vernon, Stephen Vernon, and he um, is like, uh, he's been a, like a long-standing Irish property developer and he's like got a really big reputation because he had built up a huge portfolio back in like the 90s and he sold before the crash, so everyone thinks he's great. And then he came and he set up Green Reit and he's actually building that up. He, he was the first in, bought the offices right at the bottom of the market, got them really cheaply, um, did really great, sold it last year. So now everyone's sort of nervously wondering like, oh, that's the smartest guy. And yeah, what does he know? Selling, yeah. What does he know? Whatever about that. Um, so that that's him. Um, the, yeah, I, I've, I've heard from people who, who are like professional real estate guys that a good thing about REITs from their perspective is that they're like, they're very, they're very professional. They bring in like international best practice. Um, they're like instead of having, instead of being, you know, in the town where I grew up in, there was like the local builder was like the property developer, you know, and he was like literally. I know I knew him. I knew his kids. He was a plasterer, and then you know he's building like massive housing estates. So the argument, with the, the argument that reads a professional is that like they're they're solely in the business of in IRES is the case, apartments or you know residential property, and they'll be like building, buying, accumulating, and they're just, they kind of bring a professional, internationally best practice kind of a vibe to it. Hmm. Yeah. This is a this is a very silly, maybe silly question. So we had the crash, we were sold down the river with NAMA, then IRES bought half the properties they own from NAMA. It kind of feels like you're, you're like, hey, this feels like it's benefiting this corporate investment people that was set up by the government who sold us down the river. Yeah, like green read. I mean, every, every, I think anyone who's bought stuff from NAMA has done well. Like, you know, that's that's just, it's just kind of an ugly fact. I mean, you'd like to, with hindsight, you'd like to say if the state should have held on to them or something until now and we would have then 
the taxpayer, taxpayer could have benefited a bit more. We have benefited a bit, but we sold like as soon as people were willing to buy this stuff, we were happy to sell. I guess at the time, if you're kind of Michael Noon in 2011, 2012, or 2013, you're, you're, you're interested. Okay, actually thinking about it, it goes back to right. The guys make it, people making the decisions, like they are interested only in minimizing the downside rather than maximizing the upside, which is true in like so many walks of life, right? You know, if you've got someone who only cares about one side, then you're going to result in, it's going to result in bad outcomes. If you've got bankers who get a lot of money on the upside, then they take too much risk. If you've got, you know, some kind of lawyer or something who only cares about the downside, they'll cover their ass. And I'd say with NAMA, the decision makers were probably more of the ass covering variety. They weren't ever going to benefit if they shrewdly held onto the assets, ma- maximize the value for the taxpayers. Like, no, nah, no, nah, just get this problem off my desk. You know, I think that was probably the mindset. Mm. Um, I think some people who were very involved in NAMA are now also involved in REITs, right? Like financial advisors and so on. Yeah, so Her- uh, Hibernia REIT was set up. Uh, there's this um, fellow, I think it's Kevin Nolan. Uh, it's Kevin Nolan. Um, he set up Hibernia alongside his father, who's a pr- property investor. And he had worked in NAMA for a few years as a kind of a portfolio manager at managing, I think it was Sean Dunn's portfolio stuff. So, you know, he's a f- person who was really close to the assets um, and you got to understand, I suppose, yeah, you got, to, you got to understand, he got a very close look at what he ended up buying and he ended up buying it then. That's convenient. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah um, Mick Wallace spoke about it in the doll. You can read the quotes. Okay. Um, now, what criticism have REITs been subjected to in Ireland and why? Uh, you know, aside from... Um, Fuck global capital, <laughs> you know, tear down the system, etc. <laughs> or why are all these massive landlords putting up the rent and these are faceless people and I don't know who to ring when my washing machine breaks, etc. Mm-hmm. What What is the broader kind of overarching criticism? Like, is, it doesn't feel like a good thing, <laughs> but maybe, I don't know. <laughs> well, wasn't it the Dublin Tenants Association who were picketing their offices? Mm who were uh, protesting against escalating rents and the wider issue of government-supported vulture fund activity in Dublin's crisis-hit housing market. Yeah, I mean, so they, they're huge landlords, right? And they're, you know, you're not going to be super yeah. popular as a landlord in Dublin t- today, are you? Um, I mean, so like, I, I, I wrote down a bunch of criticisms. So, okay, one kind of category of criticism would be I'm going to call it the Darrow O'Brien School, the Fianna Fáil housing spokesperson. And Fianna Fáil are broadly okay with, you know, um, they'd be similar to Fine Gael in their prescription of how you fix the thing. They want private investment in building houses and such. But where they differ is Darrow O'Brien is a bit queasy on foreign investment and he, the idea of foreign investors blowing up Irish cities. So that's one type of criticism. Fair enough. Yep. So it's, I mean, that's sort of a value judgment, you know, whatever, whatever you're having yourself about that, that's fair enough. Um, then there's, what, what else? Um, so Pierce Doherty has criticised in terms of that they're a, a sort of a, a tax shelter. He probably didn't use the term tax shelter, I should be careful. He said, you know, it was like a, they're a form of tax breaks for billionaires. I think he said something along those lines. And you know, on the surface, they are because we did, I never actually got into this. But the way they, the way they actually work is um, the uh, the kind of cru- critical element of their like the way they're set up is that they the REIT pays no tax on income that it makes or on capital gains within the, within the REIT, right? But there's a, there's a good reason for it. And the reason is so it 
buys and sells buys and sells properties, makes money on buying and selling them, and makes all this income from it. Pays no tax in it. It's like, oh, that sounds bad. But crucially, they're forced to give everything to the shareholders, and then the shareholders pay the same level of same rate of income tax and same rate of capital gains tax. So the point is that like Avoid you're getting the tax. tax somehow. You get the tax via from the shareholder mm. rather than the REIT itself. And if there were two layers of tax of capital gains and income tax, then REITs Nobody wouldn't would REITs wouldn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You need single layers. So so I think I think that angle of attack from PSRD I think is unfair. Um, they're not just tax shelters, you know, they're just a different way of structuring tax. Why so then was there some tax loophole issue that Pascal Dunahoo then sought to close? What's that about? That was, so he's, he, one was a loophole which is that it's some, this, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not a lawyer and I'll kind of, I might get the details exactly wrong but it's something like, so when you sell shares you've got to pay stamp duty tax which is, I think is like 1% or something but there's, there was a loophole where you could like, um, like dissolve the company and then reconstitute the shares and because the shares are like different shares you wouldn't have to pay any tax it was literally something something tax like that tax is a gas world isn't it yeah, and like, dissolve this reconstitute it's like it's just playing a game of moving things around oh to man. justify it and if there's no, I hope there's no tax lawyers because like, listen because you know I didn't I probably didn't do a good job there but there was some it was a loophole and the green read thing kind of would have benefited from it he changed it kind of after the deal was done as well so green read were raging about it and then the other tax change he made about the about REITs, Pascal Donny did in the last budget, is um, he had always been under pressure from his his critics like Pierre Sarty, who said that REITs are you know a short term speculative thing, foreign money invest speculating in Irish property, and you're giving them tax shelters and blah blah blah, and it's short term. And his response was always, no, this is like an established model, and these are long term investors. They're here for the long term, and then. When you know Green Reek turns around and sells itself, making him look really stupid because it proved in, in that case proved that they were in it for the short run. They were they closed after six years, so he didn't look good as a result of that. And then he so he changed the tax law, which made it much more difficult to sell, more costly to sell REITs. So now you're kind of they are there for the long run because they're kind of they kind of have to be. Mm. So that was two of the changes. What um, what is an attractive investment for a REIT here? An attractive investment for uh, well, they're all about yield. So th- their whole thing is they're like they're set up to just churn out income to 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 stock market investors. So they're not even so much about like the share going up very much, or like you know, particularly about um, you know building skyscrapers and then flipping just them on. Just your dividends. Yeah, they're about they're about dividends, and they're about make the dividends are derived from from rental income. So they're all about yield. They do a little bit of development, but they're kind of they're legally kind of boxed in about how much they can do because they're really meant to be about income and yield um, so what what are they into it's just it's a question of yield like what what you know what um, uh, apartment block that's under construction in Dundrum and they make a projection about you know what tenants are going to be paying in rent in the next couple of years and what they pay now and if it, the number is greater than you know 5% or 6% or whatever it might be is their threshold that's what they're about hmm and there does seem to be quite a concentra- concentration of retail um, properties in some REITs, like um, bits of shopping centres, etc., mm. um, as well as like other commercial property, like offices, mm. which are Dublin has. Even though we're told it's like a shortage, there's like an abundance of office developments. 
um, happening now obviously there's been some that have been pulled in terms of leases with especially around WeWork and stuff like that which is obviously a total car crash but um, I'm interested in if a lot of these REITs are investing heavily in retail in Ireland and we know that um, you know retail is a dead duck basically like mm. you know the end of the British high street the retail apocalypse how you know leases going for very little in massive marquee spaces in big shopping centres and so on is it something to be worried about that a lot of this global capital is is buying up retail in Dublin like what's going to happen when that crashes um, well specifically about you're, you're dead right that retail is like um investors are terrified of retail now and they're like scouring their portfolios to see like where the hell is retail who's got retail investments and so that's resulted in some really like in the UK there's like a, pro- a property fund which was had to like close its gates because basically all the investors were like trying to sell their shares at the same time because they found out they figured out there's tons of retail in it so they're like get out of this thing ended up having to like 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 a, like a run in the bank mm. um, that was only in December I think um that would have contributed to a similar Irish property fund had another kind of run on the bank type situation there not long ago because of fears over retail portfolios. REITs on the other hand uh, they are in Ireland at least in the in other places they will be exposed to retail but in Ireland they've been focused mainly on the likes of your you know Salesforce towers and commercial stuff and your apartments in Sandy Ferry and there isn't there's still there isn't as yet a lot of retail in their hmm. portfolios another podcast will be um, two hours of explaining what Salesforce actually does because <laughs> I've spent a long time looking at it and I still don't understand um, what is the future of REITs in Ireland I guess one of the things that was um, squeaky bum moments for or I would them. say more like upside down smiling emoji <laughs> like what's the I don't know um, the, when the Irish resident properties reads, uh, slid um, when Sinn Féin got the most first preference votes mm. um, in, in the country in the last election I think 8.3% it dropped and there was also like um, what's that Carn Homes and Glen yep. Glen what home? Um, Glen Vey Homes they're just like falling 7%, 6.2% um, you know in reaction to the election result um, I guess that tells us loads of things right it tells us that um, these types of um, global capital structures benefit from centre-right governments being in power who enable them and actually open the gates to them that the prospect of um, residential building being driven by the state is boo for these kind of companies because they won't be able to buy invest in them right and it might is that, is that true so, so around okay let's stick to the to REITs anyway yeah um, there's I guess what they would have been worried about there's a couple of changes that Pierce already that made it into the Sinn Féin manifesto that would I'm not, it looks to me like they might even jeopardise the existence or the viability of REITs but mm. Um, maybe I'm being too um, being too like, so don't invest in REITs no I didn't say that <laughs> I, was just, I was just investing. about to buy some shares shit <laughs> there was there was one change where they want to so remember I said that the, the the kind of fundamental thing about them is that they don't tax within the REITs they don't pay any tax mm-hmm. and then the shareholders pay all tax mm. so one of the changes being proposed in Fane is that the REITs would pay tax on um, on um, capital gains so 
not income, but if they were selling, if they, let's say, sold a tower or something like that mm. and they made money, they have to pay income tax on that. So they'd be introducing like a double taxation on that aspect of the of their, let's say, returns. So that's one thing that sounds like it could be quite bad for them. Another thing is they wanted to, Sinn Féin wanted to raise, um, just raise tax on dividends. So shareholders at the back end of it, they're taking all their money out in dividends, obviously, and Sinn Féin wants to tax dividends a bit more. Mm. It's quite high already. It's 30... Yeah, like it's it's not something. It's it's not a story in Ireland because I think that we just I think <laughs> Irish taxes on dividends are the highest in the OECD of those forty six countries, and it's not even a story here. I think because no one invests in shares because taxes are so high. So it's like you know there's no constituency for defending that. But yeah, they they do want to increase taxes on on withholding taxes more than thirty. It's got went up to thirty three, didn't it? Yeah, they want to increase it more. Yeah, more beyond beyond. I think I think I don't even moved it. Moved it up. My numbers might be wrong. They can move it from twenty to twenty five or something, and then Doherty and Sinn Féin want to move it to thirty three. I think. And then there was one more change. Oh yeah, the last change was that they want to increase uh, stamp duty on commercial um, transactions. So. As, we talk, as we've been talking about the REITs are heavy into commercial property offices for Google and so on and um, I think um, I mean, my numbers are all wrong now I think they want I think it's it's currently 5% but anyway they definitely want to increase it to 12% so yeah it's about um, yeah just taxing REITs more heavily REITs and Google at the same time yeah, yeah. essentially yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> before you go Sean this has been fascinating um, I don't have any money to invest in anything <laughs> but it's ne- ne- nevertheless I'm learning a lot um, before you go totally different but kind of I suppose a little bit related for the last 18 months there's just been this stream and stream of stories about um, a global another global crash coming down the line um, stuff about like just very slow growth in Europe and obviously trade war America and China la 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 coronavirus Yes, all of those things. And, uh, yeah, and then like kind of events intervening. The retail stuff I think is very interesting. Um, the potential of like building the, you know, or building the wrong properties. Like we were talking earlier about, um, you know, building luxury apartments um, when there's non-luxury housing needed, all that kind of stuff. And we also know that like capitalism is totally broken, right? So it needs these cycles of boom and bust. And we are 12 years ish after the um, the last massive global crash from your kind of work and, and the, the maybe canaries in the mind that you're hearing that other people might not be like what do you think about that narrative do you think it's just like if David McWilliams says something every three months eventually it'll come, <laughs> come true or what uh, I'm probably the I'm probably the anti-McWilliams just like in temperamentally, I always think everything is going to be fine in terms of investing, and I'm and I'm usually right because you know okay there was the big crash obviously, but we've, we're in the middle like in the middle of the longest expansion. Well, like the US is in the middle of the longest expansion. Maybe the world economy is in the middle of the longest expansion possibly ever. Started in 2009. It's just been steadily ticking up, and yeah, um, in in terms of what you should sort of what you should do, you know how you should what step you should take how you should invest or not invest or be afraid or not afraid like the the advice the advice for is pretty much always to just invest in the stock market um, and then just like step back and leave it for a long time like that's that's the bog standard tried and trusted best advice because you never know when the crash is going to come stocks have a very very long record of being the best sort of asset class for your returns 
So, yeah, even though uh, we're in a very, the end of a very, uh, not the end, but let's say this, the, uh, the economy has been growing for a very long time and you might think that therefore, oh, everything is going to fall soon. That's why you should maybe not invest or be afraid. Um, history has shown that it's very, very hard to know when the bad thing is going to actually happen. And in the here and now, the best thing is usually to do just, just What about invest. if I said that the best thing is that everyone got one house for themselves and everyone <laughs> had somewhere to live? <laughs> would that not be the best investment in our world? That would be absolutely phenomenal. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you very much, Sean, for your time. Um, tell us about the currency. How's it going? The currency is going great. Yeah, uh, we are running since um, since September. So I think that's five months or something like that. And uh, yeah, we've got, a, we've got a good team. We're tapping away in our typewriters, working hard. Typewriters? That doesn't sound very future-proof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's the safest way. Yeah, they're yeah. not hackable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, you guys are doing great work over there and really great long reads and investigative stuff and stuff that is really worth subscribing to. So um, can we have a one sentence pitch for our listeners? Just subscribe to The Currency because <laughs> it's the only outlet I write for <laughs> and I really need it to work. And it's also very, very good. It truly is good. Excellent. Hit them, hit them with the personal story every time. Thank you so much, okay. Sean. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Una. Getting in the Sea this week. It's a joint Get in the Sea <laughs> by our powers combined. This will get in the sea. So um, it's that time of year again where um, any woman who's ever said anything on Twitter <laughs> is asked to loads of International Women's Day events, which is 8th of March, which happens to be my birthday. Shut up. Yeah, International Women's Day, didn't it? Lick it off the stones. <laughs> um, and <laughs> there was a joke in there, but it, I know it's there's not, plenty it's of not jokes. Happening. It's not time. This is pre-watershed. <laughs> um, but basically, uh, what happens is, since Women International Women's Day kind of really took off, uh, loads of companies and taking off, not in the pure sense, more in the capitalizing on it by yeah, brands. Yeah, yeah, totally. So brands, corporates, big tech companies, a lot of them hold these like International Women's Day events that are like empowering, inspiring women. Um, I actually got one invited to one um, by Accenture there the other day, uh, which was, I don't know, the something about equality. And the event was at half seven in the morning. Half seven in the morning. Do it like are people going to like a fucking work thing breakfast shit is so popular. Oh, anyway, I can't. Like so, even like brands, like beauty brands are doing it. You're like, I don't set my alarm till at least half eight. Cop on. So I am utterly opposed. That is that does not impact <laughs> getting up early in the morning. Can get in the sea. <laughs> can get in the sea. But um, one event that I got asked to speak at was being run by the Web Summit. <clears throat> um, and they're like, oh, will you speak at this thing, be a special guest and we'll highlight your accomplishments on our invite or something. <laughs> I was like, I don't know how, why this serves me. But anyway, I asked what the fee was um, and they said that there was no fee. So, you know, I, I just kind of, in you know, this kind of stuff kind of annoys me a little bit. I don't think it was like a big keynote thing. It's kind of like a private event. They're inviting various women to. I don't have an issue if women are like saying, yes, I'm going to do that and speak at it if you've got something of yourself to promote. But when companies are trying to capitalize on your um, be being there and asking you to speak at something and not paying you a fee 
to do so on International Women's Day when the whole thing is about like inspiring and empowering women. It's like, well, a really great way to empower women is to pay them for their work. Um, so at the same time that, you know, um, Paddy Cosgrave is on Twitter. Give, <laughs> losing his mind. Losing his mind, giving out about Irish journalists <laughs> and saying he's going to set up a fund for Irish journalists to help them out or whatever. And but, how he's not a crony. Why, oh while God, his company out. is emailing print journalists like me, asking them to attend and speak at their events without getting paid. Absolutely not. Like... So to I'm always delighted to um, attend and speak at things that, uh, you know, I do loads of that shit all the time. A lot of it for free, um, particularly if it's for NGO stuff, charity stuff, students, kids in schools. I'm all about it. I do as much as I can. But if a really wealthy company emails you to come to their thing as a quote unquote special guest and that's you can speak but like you know speaking is kind of optional or whatever and you're not getting paid um, I'm sorry get in the scene (laughs) like how is that I just can't so inevitably there's all these International Women's Day invites kind of coming in at the moment and this is a public announcement on my behalf if you are a tech company or a company masquerading as a tech company or a big corporate company. Or a small corporate Or Well, I mean, it depends, like a startup or whatever. And you're asking people to come to your thing that benefits you. Like, there's no benefit for me to go to a a web summit. What? You wouldn't like to take an evening off and bop down to an office to have a chat about stuff? So I'm just saying, if you're getting in touch with women to do this kind of shit on International Women's Day... And your wealthy companies pay them. That's it. And if you're not, get in the sea. Now, <laughs> in a more lovely tone, we will now, well, not that it was a bad tone, but we're going to a fave bits. Yeah. I'm going to start my first fave bit. There's this new brand. Oh my God, I can't believe I didn't share, take the brand. Tampons that are infused with CBD oil. Fucking CBD is in everything. Like, but hello, and now it can be in your vagina. (laughs) (laughs) This feels like some live line thing going, and they're soaking the tampons in vodka, and they're putting them up their vaginas, and then they're going into Wesley, and they're getting (laughs) drunk through their vaginas. It's and CBD. Joe, I just I love it. Look, it's it's from it's from a brand called Day D A Y E, and instead of having plastic applicators, the applicators are made from sugar cane. It's all clean, toxic-free fibers. There's a fiber loss prevention um, thing on the outside because even in organic tampons, fibers are left float into the ether of your vagina and um, so yeah put the CBD oil on it it's 150 milligrams of high potency 30% full spectrum CBD and put it inside me I spilt a <laughs> bottle of CBD oil on my kitchen counter yesterday um, that's not my favourite thing no it's not my favourite <laughs> thing and because it's expensive it, is it was expensive. my own fault I didn't put the lid I um, don't know if it works I take it but look yeah, what is what? How do I know? What's my measurement? I need to get a one of those p- people. Anyway, next on my list is the Rialto Cinema Club in the Circular, and this is every Tuesday. Maybe every Tuesday. Maybe I should get my facts. They have a, a film that you can pay seven euro that you get a drink with, and obviously Coke Lane Pizza are there, so you can have some pizza. And tonight. Tuesday when we're recording Bloodlight and Bami which is the Amazing. Grace Jones documentary with, which had some 
uh, footage filmed in the Olympia that's on but there's other great ones coming down the line like the Sign Painters which is explores the ancient Irish art of sign painting uh, <laughs> the Irish pub and PJ Harvey a dad called Money so loads of gorge things so follow the circular on Instagram to keep abreast of that can't wait to get to that another one of my shout fa- out to uh, Blinder and Katie Holly who produced that Grace Jones documentary yes. Just just shouting out there. <laughs> Shout out. Um, another fave bit. Oh my God, get ready for this. There's I've a delicious food fave bit and then a disgusting one. The delicious one, sliced mayo. <laughs> yes. A Japanese food company have invented slices of mayonnaise that you can just put on things. And it's just... Mm. I'm into it. I love mayonnaise so much. I do love mayonnaise Like well. it's my favourite. That's why I could never be a vegan. I know there's vegan mayonnaise. No. Veganaise. Veganaise. Mayonnaise is God's gift to chips. Um, and roast potato is my other favourite thing. My other favourite bit. Oh my God. Burger King did this ad. Um, the agencies involved were Ingo, David and Publicis. And they basically filmed a Whopper going off and mouldy. And then they did an outdoor poster of the Whopper being the most disgusting, mouldy thing in the world. So it's the first time that a brand has ever showcased something completely rotted. I don't understand why they did what this. Their selling point is that they're taking all preservatives out of their food so that it's going to be natural, good food. Um, and I love McDonald's, so I'm not making a slight on them because I think they are the God's gift of food. But the last burger that was sold in Iceland, I think three years ago, is still perfectly together on display there. So Burger King are taking a swipe. Now, give me a Big Mac any day. I don't actually like Burger King, but it's a it's a good campaign. I've never had a Big Mac, as we discussed before. Oh, my God. I might force you to come and have one. No. Okay. Just not interested. It's gone so long now that I can't do it. Do you know what I mean? It's, they're so fucking good. Even as a vegetarian, I get a Womack, which is just the Big Mac without the meat. What are, what are you saying? What are you saying there? Big Macs are just meh. They're not just meh. They're delicious. My final thing, kneecap on joe.co.uk is a piece of poetry. <laughs> they are gas bitches and I can't wait to go to their shows. So This is the Belfast um, rap act who were doing a Q&A on the... They rap in Irish. They do indeed, yeah. C-E-A-R-T-A-S. Come on, let's talk C-E-A-R-T-A. Judeen Lasset. I'm sure I'll gas Oh my God, shut up. I know, I know my kneecap lyrics. I'm down with kids. Anyway, the Q&A on joe.co.uk is very funny. Yeah. Um, do you want to know my fave bits? No, you're, until you agree to a Big Mac. Uh, no. <laughs> but I won't... No fave bits for you today. I won't have a Big Mac, but I will have some fave bits. Over the weekend, I binge watched years and years, which I'd meant to watch ages ago, but you know the way somebody suggests something really good and then you just forget about it. Now's a good time to watch years and years. I feel it is great. If you haven't already watched it... What is it? Well, it's a it's a BBC drama set in near future. It's like speculative future about a independent um, kind of populist British politician who comes to power. But it's more so about a family living in um, England and all of the aspects of the near future across climate, you know, political conspiracy, um, migrant crisis, technology. basically what we're living in right now. Yes. (laughs) And how they deal with it. And it is really 
the one of the best TV uh, shows I've seen in recent times. There's not actually a lot of good TV out at the moment, to be fair. Like, there's just too much of it. Oh, my God. I watched Friends all day yesterday. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, so anyway, it's I'm coming to it like, you know, nine months after it first went out. So I'm sorry, people who want things on the button. But uh, I just watch it and it's great. So if you've been like, oh, yeah, I must watch that. Go do it now. My other fave bit, Mango Mathman are playing in Dublin this weekend. I'm excited. And also on the same night, Grace is back. Grace, just hold me in your arms. Is that what you're talking about? That's not what I'm talking (laughs) about. let this moment linger. I'm not talking about seminal Irish folk song, Grace. Grace. (laughs) I am talking about seminal queer techno rave party Grace. It's such a sesh. Um, also, my other favourite thing is um, Paper Girls, which is a graphic novel series. If you enjoy Why the Last Man, which I did, or if you enjoy things like Stranger Things, then this is for you. <laughs> Why did that sound like an ad? Um, anyway, I like reading a lot of graphic novel stuff, but I don't. You see, the thing is, I don't particularly like very sci-fi things so this presents many issues as you would imagine when you are a fan of graphic novels because a lot of it is why are you so into graphic novels um i don't know is that a big question that's a question maybe that's next well no i think it's just an interesting form to explore things in a different kind of way you know it is literal visual storytelling Okay. Um, anyway, Paper Girls is really good uh, if anybody's into that kind of vibe. Somebody was meant to bring me a book this week, but oh, they didn't. That's the only thing to make me read more. Anywho, JLo news. Woo! What's there's, happening with JLo this week? Oh my week? God, there's so much happening. First up, ex fiance. I feel like we've turned into a gossip site, except to say on gossip site. Ex fiance Ben Affleck came out and said she sh- said what we all know she should have gotten an Oscar nod. Yeah. Somebody was tweeting me about this the other day and I was like, do you know what? Don't feel sad about it because we all know she deserved it and should have got it and that should be enough. Ben Affleck got an Oscar for... He's got a couple of Oscars, hasn't he? He got one for Goodwill Hunting, I believe, for screenwriting. And that amazing one where they escape. Argo. Argo. Yeah. Such a good film. Uh, so stressful. So he directed Argo, didn't he? Yeah. Um, oh no, Argo won Best Picture and original screenplay was Goodwill Hunting, him and Matt Damon. There you go. Um, another thing that was JLo didn't do, perhaps, but has had an impact on the internet is the hashtag JLo challenge on Instagram. She put up a photograph of herself in a white bikini, as you can imagine, looking kind of hot. And don't you know, I sometimes get frustrated at the term body positivity only used on people who are in larger bodies Um, but this kind of retook that back and encouraged everyone to be uh, body positive as mothers who have given birth or whatever about their uh, bodies and what they can do and they were using the hashtag JLo challenge so that was that was nice Um, quite relevant for me JLo turned up at the Kobe and Gigi memorial with her nails uh, white and gold with the numbers 2 and 24 which were Kobe's numbers and Gigi's numbers on her nails and then Beyonce turned up with purple nails to represent the Lakers so there was a lot of uh, nail loving going on at that memorial and then finally get ready 
there is a 23 minute JLo mega mix on YouTube. <laughs> I'm is, obsessed is with mega mix at the moment. Is like, it better than the girls allowed one? Nothing is better than the okay, girls allowed fair. one. Like that is the best pop moment that's ever happened. But this and somebody I, I was obviously tweeting about girls allowed's mega mix at the weekend. Why wouldn't I be? And somebody sent me back a Boney M mega mix. Yes. Hello. I'm obsessed with Megamix at the moment. So, 23 minutes. JLo, how are you? This podcast is produced by <laughs> Andrew Mangan at Castaway Media with support from Susie Bennett. Crystal Clear gave us his tuna chicken roll for a soundtrack. Sarah Fox stole our design. And yes, once again, <laughs> we have forgotten the Patreon plug. Um, Patreon.com forward slash United Ireland. We're getting record listenership at the moment. And record support. Thanks to you, our pals. Patreon pals so thank you very much for your support and if you're listening to this for the first time hello please support us patreon.com forward slash United Ireland if you're listening if you're a regular listener but have not yet supported us or bought some content as Andrea says <laughs> from us then please do so now it's three dollars or something a month I don't know what that is in euro because as we as you know from this podcast the market is just fluctuating <laughs> left right and center currency dividends capital it's all happening here on the David McWilliams <laughs> podcast with Una Malali and Andre Horan please support us on patreon.com forward slash United Ireland we love you you can find our links to all of our socials where Andrea on our website unitedirelandpodcast.com we might update that soon actually yeah anyway does it not who oh I just like no it does like I anyway, anyway that, we not. might have that conversation offline <laughs> this week's tuna chicken roll it's a classic it's from the purple king himself it is from Prince it's 17 days which is a tuna in itself but it comes from piano, piano and a microphone so it's very like moody and acoustic and fab. Your um, description of Prince as the Purple King or the Purple One reminds me of my Purple f- Prince. My favourite ever MCD uh, official Twitter account tweet when they said the Purple One comes to the Olympia for like seven nights or something and everybody lost their minds because they thought it was Barney. Prince, but it was Barney. <laughs> <laughs> so... No. I don't know. Anytime I hear the purple one, uh, I hope for Barty. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just got reminded of that. It was funny. OK, I've been Una Malali. I've been Andrea Horan. This has been United Ireland. And that was Reeds. Reeds is the word. Can you turn the lights down so you
Yeah. 